Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode number three. Today, Mary Morantz will inspire you to redefine success in your business and in your life. We'll discuss how to not let the comparison game beat you down and how social media might be impacting you more than you even realize. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast with Jenna Kutcher, the live workshop-style business podcast for creative girl bosses. So you can train from the experts how to dig in, do the work, and tackle your goals along the way. Here's your host, photographer, educator, artist, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. This episode of the Gold Digger Podcast is sponsored by HoneyBook. HoneyBook is the management software that I use to stay organized, manage invoices, get paid, and give every client an elevated, unforgettable experience. HoneyBook is offering 20% off exclusively for Gold Digger listeners. Just go to honeybook.com slash gold digger to get started and get your life back today. Hi, Gold Digger listeners. Today, I'm so excited for you guys to get to meet one of my dearest friends, Mary Morantz. Hello, Mary. Hello, I'm and so excited. Welcome. Oh. I'm so excited. So, Mary and I met in real life in January over mm. some lobster mac and cheese when they hosted <laughs> an incredible event right outside of DC. And it was freezing cold, frigid winter. But if you've ever been to anywhere that you've heard Mary speak, you know that that woman just fills up that room with warmth. And so, I have been just so blessed by their friendship over the last year, and I get to see them in a few days and hug them in real life. But Mary is one of the most, just trying to, I want to break you up, and it's so hard to put you in words. She's one of the most caring, thoughtful, intentional people I've ever met, and today I'm so excited to talk with her about success. So Mary, tell us a little bit about you and where you are at and how you got there, because it's a pretty incredible story. Yeah, I always feel like um, when I'm going to launch into this story, like we should be like sitting around a fire and we should be like <laughs> hot toddies or something. Um, I love it. So for those of you um, who don't know me, I feel like I'm starting a bridesmaid speech for those of you who don't know me. <laughs> this is um, great. I, uh, I have kind of this interesting story in that um, I grew up in West Virginia um, on the very top of a mountain called Fenwick Mountain. 
And my dad was a logger and my mom cleaned houses and my grandfather was a coal miner. We were kind of like the quintessential West Virginia family. And I actually grew up from birth to 18 when I left for college in this dirt floor trailer. It had a roof that was uh, kind of more just like a lean-to, like a shack. It was the, the, the tin metal aluminum roof. Anybody who grew up in a trailer will understand that. And um, it leaked like crazy. And, you know, I would always say that when it rained, it was raining inside just as hard as it was outside. And uh, that turned into the floor caving in. And we had mushrooms growing out of the carpet and um, just kind of some really, really tough conditions to grow up in. But when you're growing up in that, it doesn't seem that it's not normal, that that's what everybody had. And so I think kind of coming from that background, um, it really shaped this version of success. I think when you grow up super poor like that, it can either make you feel like you will never have success, that this is what you were born into, this is what you will always be, or it can kind of make you a super type A overachiever, like you have to find all the success to constantly be um, shedding that uh, outer skin of the mildew that would cling to your clothes and your dignity. And you just feel like you're constantly trying to outrun that girl who went to school with her clothes smelling bad. Um, and I kind of, for a long time, and there's definitely still a part of me that falls into this category. I chased extreme success to try to outrun that. There was definitely a period of my life where I thought I'll never be successful, but to get away from what I thought would be that failure, it was like I ran as hard as I could as towards success, just not to fail. And I, I think kind of what's interesting about that is I watched my parents, the logger, the lumberjack, and my mom who cleaned houses, um, they didn't really agree on a lot and they aren't together still. But one thing that they both agreed on is that their one only daughter, their only child was going to be the break in the chain. That family generational change was going to happen with me. And so they both worked really, really hard so I could go to college and I could have a different life and I could get out of that kind of area. And I think when somebody sacrifices like that, you can start to think that they're doing it so that you can be successful. And over the course of our business in the last 10 years, I kind of had this light bulb moment that they didn't do it just so that I could be successful. They did it so that my life could be significant in serving others. And um, I think that kind of becomes a much more valuable definition of success to follow. That's amazing. And one of the coolest things about Mary is so she works with her husband, Justin, and they have two adorable dogs that mm -hmm. I love and that deal the show on their Insta stories <laughs> yes, in a really <laughs> wonderful way. Um, but the interesting thing about Justin and Mary is they play very different roles in their business. And mm -hmm. I think too, in your relationship, yep. um, and you serve very differently. And so talk to me a little bit about what your relationship looks like and how you guys work together. Because I know that there are people out there that work with their spouse and sometimes that can be a blessing and sometimes that can lead to hardship. So what do you have to say about all of that. Oh yeah. Um, well, I think that I should start off by saying that my husband is just a much better person than I am. Um, and he kind of like daily inspires slash pushes me, um, to be better. Like he is Justin is probably the person in the world that I've met who comes the closest to serving like Jesus, uh, not to get all churchy in here. Um, oh, I love it. but he does it without thinking. It's just his love language. It's his character. He's always the one um, making sure somebody has a seat in the back of the workshop or making sure, um, everybody got the kind of food that they need. If there are any, you know, like food allergies and, um, and all of that to say that even though he has such this amazing servant heart, he's also the most wildly talented person that I know because he's the one who started our photography business. He went to school for it and he just is this incredible, 
I always say like there are people who do photography and then there are people who just are photographers all of the time. It's just that some of the time they have a camera in their hands and that's Justin. So he's, it's this bizarre combination of being usually the most talented person at the table and the most humble, the, the first to go serve others. And that is such a cool um, check for me and such a cool balance for me who can kind of like get caught up in the, we got to get stuff done and we got to mark it off the list and we got to achieve and we got to, uh, and he's really grounding for me and really balancing for me. I always say, um, on our about page, I say that I'm a high wire tightrope walker up and down and he's the <laughs> soft place to land. So I think we both definitely do serve in very different ways, but it's this very uh, complimentary way that because of the way that he serves, I'm able to get up on a lot more of the stages. He doesn't, he likes to teach, not necessarily speak. And because I kind of take over the, I'll deal with like the front end of our business. It allows him to do the stuff that he loves and serving others, which is great. So do you guys work in the same room together? That's such a weird question. <laughs> I'm curious. Um, we used to, when we had an apartment, our office was our dining room table and we had IMAX that backed up against one another. And that okay. was a very tight working space. And so we always say that when we bought our house now and turned two of the bedrooms into the office, that was like the best marriage <laughs> decision we could make. <laughs> and to be honest with you, a lot of times he'll actually work on the first floor and I'll work on either, we have an old 1880s three-story house. So I'll work on either the second or third floor. Um, and it's nice because it exactly what you're saying earlier with working with your spouse, it can fall into, Hey, remember when we had breakfast together and then worked together and then went to lunch together and there's nothing <laughs> new to talk about. And so at least having some different workspaces helps with that. And I also yeah. like to binge watch like law and order or, <laughs> or something very distracting while I work. And that would make Justin crazy. Speaking of law and order, tell us all about your, I mean, what you thought you would do and how different that looks from today and what you're doing. Yeah. So I kind of skipped that part in my story. Uh, whoops. Is that thing I know um, you. <laughs> yes. Um, so when my parents worked really hard to send me to college, I did my undergrad at WVU. Go ears, go Mountaineers. And then I, after that, I was pre-law at WVU. And after that, I went and studied for a year in England. And then after that, I um, applied to law school. And so I actually have a BA in political science and philosophy and a master's in philosophy. And then I went to law school. For, so a JD uh, focusing on the philosophy of law. So I like to sit around and think a lot is basically what that boils <laughs> down to. Um, but so when I was applying to law school, I still had a lot of that fear in my head of the dumb kid from the dirt floor trailer in West Virginia has no business applying to some of these top schools. And I actually did not send in my application. A friend of mine secretly took parts of other applications and sent it into Yale, which is the number one law school. It's, we always joke it's like the golden ticket in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> and so while I was in England finishing up my year there, I got this very fuzzy, um, broken up America to a UK cell phone in 2000, what, three, I guess that would be. So they weren't so great then. And it was this woman on the other end telling me that I got into Yale. And I was like, well, I didn't even apply to Yale. So I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. But sure enough, I had. And so with about two weeks to go, I planned to go to another law school. I had to go find an apartment and change gears entirely. And I found myself in New Haven. And it was in New Haven the following summer that I actually met Justin. And so there's definitely a plan there. That's so crazy. So talk to me a little bit about, and this is just my pure curiosity, how does the internet 
play a role in how you define success? Because I Mm -hmm. find that as entrepreneurs, it can be incredibly isolating and lonely. And a lot of times we just feel not enough. And I know that those are all catchphrases that people have been using, but I think there is so much depth in the way that we're ingesting things Mm -hmm. and the way that we're looking at them and measuring ourselves up against things that might not even be real. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, my favorite part about what you just said, I'm like over here, like praise handsing all of it. But my favorite (laughs) part of that is that it might not even be real part. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, sometimes it's somebody putting stuff out that's intentionally like my life is better than it is. But sometimes it's what we attribute to them because we've put people and leaders up on a pedestal. And so here's a a very quick example of that is um, Justin and I talk a lot about lighting. And we saw a Facebook thread a couple months ago, maybe a year ago at this point, And it was somebody saying, well, they go to weddings with four assistants. And I was like, man, I want to be them, whoever they are. (laughs) Who are Um, they? (laughs) Because that's just not even reality. It's Justin and I, the two of us who shoot weddings. And occasionally, if it's a bigger wedding, we'll have a third shooter. But it's just kind of this world that we see people who are achieving or doing cool stuff. And we start to attribute to them success they don't have. And that's because we kind of forget that, like, we're all basically still in our yoga pants on the couch answering email. Like let's, let's be real. And so that kind of turns into this thing that I have lovingly started to call the ABCs of how not to be successful. And what I mean by that is we might see one person doing a and think that's success. And then we see another person doing B and think that's success. And another person does C and our brain does this really interesting sleight of hand where it goes, okay, so to be successful, you have to do a, B and C. And we're attributing an ABC success to each of those three people, even though each of them had only done maybe one of them. So that's I think, amazing. Yeah, that's deep. I know, right? And they're in the alphabet, so you know, um, it's really good. That's <laughs> but we awesome. Do that, right? We and pretty soon it's you know it doesn't stop at ABC. It's we've got the whole alphabet, and then you do like the double A's and the double B's, and we really start to heap on this checklist of what success looks like that no human has actually accomplished. But we look around and we take a survey of what people are doing. And we think in our heads until I've done all these things, then I'm not where she is, even though no, she has actually done that. That's amazing. And one of the things that I found, especially with myself is, um, two, actually two things. One was being very intentional about what I was ingesting and how, like what my state of mind was when I was ingesting it. So even with things like eating, like, am I eating because I'm sad or because I'm celebrating same thing with internet and Am I scrolling because I don't feel good? Or am I scrolling because I really want to celebrate what other people are doing? Um, And what is that state of mind that you're in? But the second thing too is I would, I used to see these posts and for instance, like somebody shooting a wedding in Paris and I'd be like, man, if only I could do that. But I started taking myself back three steps and saying, what did that person have to do to get that Paris wedding? And would I be willing to do those three things? Would I be willing to fly across the world 20 hours on a plane to do it. Would I be willing to do it? Maybe not even getting paid. Maybe they're not even getting paid to do this wedding, but they're just doing it for their portfolio. And three, would I be willing to spend that much time away from Drew? And a lot of times when I actually took that back three steps and thought about, well, what did this person do to get there? And would I even be willing to do that? Mm -hmm. It really made me realize like, 
things, they don't just happen. And I think a lot of times entrepreneurs look at successful people and they're like, oh, they're so lucky. Like all these things are landing in their lap and it must just be so nice. They don't see all the work that has gone into building that. And as someone like you who has built a brand for years and years and years, like nothing just happens, you know? (laughs) Yes, I do know. (laughs) Um, Nothing is handed. Yeah. Well, what I loved about what you said there too, is there's two parts of that, right? So the first part is in that scenario, the Paris scenario you described, that person potentially could have been doing things to make a life that looks better on the outside than it feels on the inside. And I think we've all fallen into that part, you know, where it's like, I need to do something that will make people notice because listen, when it all boils down to it, that's really what it comes down to What these motivations for doing things we don't necessarily want to do or looking better on social media than life actually is, is that we are, we're so afraid that if we're not doing something remarkable, then we're not doing something with our life. That if we're not constantly doing something that people are talking about, then maybe we're playing small or maybe making the switch from being a lawyer to being a wedding photographer was a huge mistake. And so I think we kind of get, we were running away from that fear, but we forget to run towards our life. And so one of the questions was like, gosh, like what's some of the best advice that you've gotten? And for me, it's, listen, you can make a life that looks beautiful on the outside. That's great. Like that's, that's a pretty thing to look at. I'm much more interested in what, what does my life feel like on the inside? Cause I actually have to live it. If you're going to Paris because you love it and it's an adventure and it doesn't matter if you're getting paid, then heck yeah, go do it. But if you're doing it because you feel like you need a new thing to broadcast or a latest shiny, sparkly thing for people to look at, then maybe like reevaluate that. The flip side of that is uh, exactly what you said. Just because they're going and they're doing it, when I actually look at what would I feel like if I were on a plane, leaving my dogs, leaving my house to go do that for 10 days, how would it feel? Not every pretty successful thing is for you. You can celebrate other people's things and go in the back of your head, but that's not for me. That's not what success feels like to me. I love that. And I think a fun example of just this conversation is when Mary hosted her event, I was meeting a lot of people for the first time. And I was so honored because so many of them had known each other. And, um, you know, just like she said about Justin, like he notices, like, does everyone feel comfortable? Is everyone taken care of? And you were just leading this incredible, incredible workshop. And here I am the night before I run over to TJ Maxx, buy a new sweater. And I'm like, (laughs) I need to like look put together and like I have it all figured out. And it was so funny because about an hour before I got on stage at their event, I run up to Mary and I'm like, Mary, (laughs) would it be okay if I ran back to the hotel and put on my yoga pants? I'm just going to feel so much more comfortable on stage. And she was like, please, I would think it was weird if you weren't wearing that. And, (laughs) And it was so funny to me because I think especially as entrepreneurs and when you enter this circle of creative entrepreneurs and you see people doing these very big things, it's very easy to start to emulate that Mm -hmm. even if you don't realize it. And it can be entirely unintentional. And so it's so funny when you can take a step back and say like, well, what, what actually is me and what makes me different? And how do I put that out there not in a way that needs to be well-received, because I don't think that's important, but be received by the right people. Right. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about your brand, because your brand, um, it does just that. It 
attracts and repels in a really meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you guys created your new website, it was totally different than what you had done in the past. Yes. And so as a business owner, tell me a little bit about how you got to that place of confidence where you were like, I am ready to just share who we are. Well, what's kind of interesting is that the website that this one replaced, we did in 2008. And when we did it, it was very much us. We were young. We were quirky. We had a Mini Cooper. We had just gotten a Golden Retriever Cooper. We lived in an apartment. We played Mario Kart with our clients when they were in the meetings for $200 off their packages. So it was very much us. The problem that was that between 2008 and 2015, um, when we launched our last website, uh, we had grown up a lot and our work had grown up a lot. And we'd had all this life stuff happen to us and our work had grown in lighting and in authenticity and in a a moody, we'd embraced the moodier side of things that we'd spent years telling ourselves, you have to be young and bubbly and perky and (laughs) all these things if you're going to be successful. We were that for a while, but, uh, but now we're just this more grown up version of ourselves. And so I think what's kind of interesting is when we were going to put that out there and you're right, we were very intentional about exactly who are we attracting, exactly who are we repelling the new brand is very elevated and it's very rich and very iconic and very vanity fair because those things very authentically do speak to us in our work. But at the same time, we knew that if we weren't careful, that kind of messaging could attract those types of people who don't speak to our hearts, mm-hmm. people who want to spend money on us because we're like their Louis Vuitton bag that they wanted to just have the label of us there, but they didn't really care about the work or they thought that iconic meant high maintenance. So there's a very intentional part where we, ha- we lay out the Justin and Mary Bride, the anatomy of a Justin and Mary Bride, and we say, doesn't have a high-maintenance bone in her body. And the reason for that, and we're very specific, that she thinks that the most graceful thing in the world is to take care of others. And, and she writes thank you notes because she's grateful. So we're hitting these core personality like foundations that we think are so important to just being a human being, but also who we specifically want to work with. Because we're 10 years into our business. There's not a lot of patience for... Um, people who are just doing it to be showy or to, I don't know, throw a big party. That's fine for some people. But for us, we really just want, we feel everything so deeply that we want clients who feel that too. And they care about legacy and grandchildren and generations to come. That's amazing. So how would you like now, right now at this stage of your life, what does success look like for you? And how has that evolved as your business and your life and your marriage and relationships change too? Mm. I think that it's, it's so interesting that we're having this conversation right when we are, because two weekends ago, we actually hosted, so coming very full circle, we had my 10-year Yale Law reunion. There was a, a dinner and a party on Saturday, and then we hosted the brunch in our house. A hundred people came, close to a hundred people, in our little 1880s house for the brunch, for this reunion. And so here, that's just it was just such a mile marker in the whole story, because you know, it was like, will I ever get into a, a law school? Am I this poor kid, this dumb kid who will never get into law school slash gets into the top law school, then does a summer at law firms. I did graduate law school, but then I, we decided to turn down these $140,000 offers from law firms to start our business. People who probably thought we were nuts. I mean, who goes and spends $150,000 to study at Yale Law School and then becomes a wedding photographer. And then, the, you know, going down to that dinner on Saturday night, I was like hyperventilating, like, What is it going to be like to see these people? I am the weird wedding photographer while they've all been doing lawyer things. And it was really cool to see that in a world of social media that they've been able to kind of keep track of our business and that they recognize that we've done something. And I think the coolest part of all of that is that in that 
process of chasing success to then going for significance through serving, it was almost like we'd just at the time when we kind of got their approval, we like didn't need it anymore, which is kind of cool that it was great that they came and they saw, you know, the house and the dogs and the work on the wall, but, um, we could relate to them just as people and as friends. And like our identity wasn't in their approval of what our success looked like or not. That was a really cool place to get to. I love that. And, you know, even when I became a photographer, I felt like such a fraud and an Mm -hmm. imposter. And I struggled to even tell people that I was a photographer. And I remember the first time I actually said I am a photographer without, you know, precursoring or adding anything to it. It was at the dentist. (laughs) And my dentist was like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a photographer. And I left that day and I was like, Drew, oh my gosh, I finally told somebody I'm a photographer. And it, it was just so funny because... Again, I think I would love to hear your thoughts on approval Mm -hmm. because I love that word. And I think it's something that is such a deep struggle. And I even notice, even with social media, like we're looking at how many likes do we get, how many comments, how many followers. And it's not something that we base our worth on, but it's something that feeds us. Mm -hmm. And if we're not conscious and careful, it can really, really hold us back and also just affect our self-worth. So. Talk about approval and like what that's looked like, even with your parents' relationship in your marriage, mm-hmm. um, and then just taking a non-traditional route to what you thought you would do. Well, I think what's kind of cool about talking about it in terms of social media in particular, and the fact that Justin and I did just celebrate 10 years of being full-time in our business in September, is we've had, you know, there is nothing like the wisdom that comes with age. And there's nothing, oh, I hate that I'm saying that sentence because I sound like <laughs> old Uh, We're not that old, Uh, but there's nothing like the wisdom that comes with time. We'll say that. That's better. And we have had the chance to, you know, we spent months slash years building up 50,000 people on Facebook only to watch Facebook flip a switch and turn it off. Mm -hmm. And we are, of course, you know, we're having a social media presence and we're building up Instagram, but we're able to do that with the hindsight wisdom of, we understand this isn't the be all end all. And I see people kind of saying, I'm so close to a thousand followers. And I can relate to that so much because I remember being that person tracking every single blog hit, every single comment, every single follow. And I think, you know, just, you kind of talked about this in your talk at the event of like, if they flipped a switch and everything you'd built on social media was gone, would you be proud of how you've been living your life? And that's not to say you can't build an audience and be proud of your life, but it's that order of priorities And it's that order of, I'm going to make sure my life feels really good on the inside. I'm going to make sure my marriage feels really good on the inside before I am racking up these numbers. Because ultimately, what's going to last is our marriage. Ultimately, is what's going to last is our family, our home, uh, the people that we have to do life with and get to do life with over the course of our life, not this happens to be the hot social media of the moment. I love that. And I faced that because I was hacked on Instagram yeah. and it was so, it was scary because one, I was like, what if they just deleted my account? Mm -hmm. But two, I knew deep down in my heart that if I had to start over again, I don't know if I would Mm -hmm. like, because you look at all of this time that you've spent curating and Mm -hmm. questioning and looking at numbers and how that has affected your life. And it's so funny to me because we live in such a small town that nobody even uses Instagram here or cares. And there's such thing as Instagram celebrities. And it's like, what is this? Because you're really just curating a good story. Yeah. And you're just a normal person behind a screen. And so I 
I love that um, when you can be conscious about approval and how it's directing your life and how it's changing the trajectory of your life, whether or not you're acknowledging that or not, Mm -hmm. uh, it can really change how you look at success as a whole. Yeah. And I think something that's super important going back to this idea of, okay, but where's the ranking of how your life feels on the inside versus the outside is the more that you have this following, like you were saying, you're this person behind a screen and you're living your life, but somewhere along the line, this kind of tipping point happens and there's suddenly a lot of people watching your life. Mm -hmm. And this is not just happening on our phones. Like Justin and I might go out to TJ Maxx or whatever and run into somebody who follows us on Instagram. And if I am creating a life that is only shiny and pretty on the outside and then she sees this real me that's nasty or Justin and I are in a huge fight or something like that, like it's kind of like that, like get the foundation right first before you start saying, okay, now let's put some eyes on this. Like let's make sure that what we're standing for and what we're living for is right first. And then we might be able to touch some other people's lives, have some significance in other people's lives with what we're sharing. But if we do it the other way around, it could be not only really bad when people kind of see behind the curtain, but it could also hurt that significance and that impact you're trying to have. So what kind of boundaries do you guys have just in work, mm-hmm. in consuming, in date nights, in travels? Like what kind of things have you guys set up in your life just to help you stay on track and stay focused on what's most significant to you? Yeah, I would say for us, and this is probably, um, I think probably most small business owners, um, can become really hard to say, here's when I'm working, here's when I'm not. Because especially when everything about your business is so digital or through a laptop, it's really easy to always be accessible. And so we really try to shut off and not do any more work after 630. We try to have these kind of signals to our brain to help us do that, of turning off the lights to the office, shutting the door, actually going through the act of cooking dinner, you know, gives your hands something to do, gives your brain something to switch into. And we just really try to like have a show or have a plan for we're going to be watching this movie, we're going to be having this popcorn Um, because when you have those kind of vacuums of what's supposed to be downtime, but you don't really know what the plan is, it's very easy to slip back into, I'll just check my email one more time, or I'll just hop on Facebook and see if I need to answer any questions about that. And we found that's really important. Like I sleep better when we turn off by 630. We feel like we're living a good life more. We feel like we have time to just be normal human beings. And so I think the 630 thing and the actually having like a routine that tells your brain it's time to turn off is really key. Um, we try to do a date night once a week because it's really easy to just be business partners and you go on those date night dinners and you have a rule where if anybody mentions business, we have to start back <laughs> over and you start back over a hundred times because it's really, really hard. And so that involves like having outside hobbies because your hobby thing you used to love becomes your business with photography. So yes. I would say those are some of ours and then just being okay. And this took a long time to get to, but being okay with realizing what are other people's false emergencies. And just because they can hop in an email and say, I know you're on vacation, but doesn't mean you have to acknowledge it. Just because you read it doesn't mean you have to acknowledge it. You should have read it probably, but just because they're in your inbox doesn't mean you have to, you owe somebody else. And that goes back to a lot of people pleasing. So are you pleasing the people in your family, the people you're doing life with, or are you pleasing random strangers on the internet? I love that. And I think too, a lot of times you can see 
things in other people. Like when Drew and I go out on our date night and we try to do it weekly as well, we will leave our phones in our glove box mm. um, when we go out to eat. And it's so funny because then we'll look around and we'll be like, look at all these people on their phones. Oh yes. my gosh. But then we go home and all of a sudden we're laying in bed and we're both on our phones. And it's so funny because it's something that you always have to be conscious about. Like mm. I feel like the second you let, you know, loosen the grip on what your guidelines are, I mean, it's just so easy to fall back in. Um, and I totally relate to all of that too. And I think it's just a constant attempt to balance. And I don't know if balance is ever actually achieved, but we are always working towards it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. So what advice would you give somebody that's starting out or maybe fresher in their business that is trying to define like, what does success look like? Because I think nowadays, a lot of people attribute the number of followers, if you're featured, um, who you're working with, where Mm -hmm. you're seen, what kind of things would you caution them to look out for? And what would you encourage them to look at within themselves for success? Well, I think it's really interesting uh, that you asked that question. And it does go back to something we were talking about earlier that I think for the people listening to this, does it's like at least worth noting that I think it can be kind of easy to say not to worry too much about getting a certain following when a certain following is already established. And when there are people who are just like, gosh, I just really do want to get over a thousand or 5,000 or have a K after my name or whatever it is, it can be hard to hear somebody who has a big following go, Oh, it's not about the following. It's like, well, it is a tiny bit about it, right? Because Mm -hmm. there is a certain element of legitimacy or validation or doors do open when the, the following is there. And that's, there is a reality to that, but it's balancing. Um, how are you going about growing that audience? And then I love everything that you teach and talk about with like, don't just think about what are the numbers and how I'm like, how is this growing? But think about the legacy that your social media can be and the story and how you can impact each individual person. And so I would say that that's kind of one part of it is, you know, think about it in terms of how can I open doors? How can I connect with people? How can I network? But always, I feel that word network is very distasteful to me, I would say. (laughs) Um, But how can I reach people knowing that as soon as I have them in front of me, I'm going to do everything I can to serve them and pour into them. So I think that's one element of success. There were some other ones you mentioned about success. What were those? Just like what pitfalls would you tell people to avoid Mm -hmm. when they're trying to define what success looks like as a new business, whether it's getting published or who they're seen with or, you know, all of those things that we inherently lean to and we lean into as business owners, but that over time we've realized like that's not, that's not success because we've made it to those certain milestones and yet nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, I love that we've made it to the milestones and nothing has changed. So I think that if I had to kind of boil it down into a a good sound bite, a quick, a quick piece of advice, it would be the problem with more is that there's never enough. And so Mm -hmm. when you start to say, here's my checklist. So for example, I had a checklist. It was reach 10,000 people on Facebook, host our first sold out workshop, speak at WPPI once, um, charge 10,000 for a wedding. And we had these kind of things that were, I looked around in the industry at the time and those were what the top people were doing. And we were just like barreling towards that. Like if Justin was going to leave studying advertising photography and working for an ad agency in New York, which was his background, and I was going to leave law firm offers and be a wedding photographer, then we couldn't just be wedding photographers. We had to be the best of the best, whatever that meant. Mm -hmm. So we were really driven by that. We were driven by a lot of fear. 
And I think when we kind of started to look at that checklist, we watched those things get marked off one by one to the point of multiple sold out workshops and 50,000 people on Facebook and speaking in WPPI eight times now. And what happens is when your success is defined by what other people are doing now that's successful in the industry, that list just keeps getting longer and longer. And there is no end to that because there will always be somebody doing something else. Like, do I now have to add, uh, start a movement like the rising tide or have a killer girl boss podcast, right? There's mm-hmm. always going to be amazing women doing different things. But we have to remind ourselves they're not doing all the things they're doing the things they're most gifted and most called to do. And we can cheer for that without adding it as like another footnote to our list, because then that becomes resentful and it becomes competitive. Yeah. And I think too, we have similarities in our background with finances. And I realized so quickly, like financials had a big stronghold on my heart Mm -hmm. and setting these six figure goals and then six figure launches and all of this stuff. And it's something that I still struggle with. But I remember when I hit six figures, I remember the exact day and the moment and I was standing in the shower and I was like, I'm supposed to feel different. Yes. And I honestly don't. And it was such a letdown Mm -hmm. because I was not waiting to live my life until I crossed that out. But I was imagining that life would be so different. Mm -hmm. And when I hit it and it wasn't, it was a letdown because I was like, well, what the heck have I been so fixated on? Yep because it's not changing my life, you know, like, I mean, it is, but it's not, it's not the end all be all of what I am or who I am or how I serve. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, there's so many great, I'm like, all the Pinterest quotes are coming to my head. (laughs) You know, it's, if, if you're not happy with what you have now, you'll never be happy with all the things that you, it's about gratitude where you are. And it's not that you weren't grateful or I wasn't grateful when we ticked those things off. It's just that in between the time when we set that goal and achieved that goal, 12 more things have been added to the list. And that's what happens when you're doing this. Well, what are the ABCs? What's the checklist of success? And that's just, we have to learn to be able to celebrate the milestones that are happening right now. We have to learn to be grateful and content in what's happening right now, while also dreaming big and stretching our arms towards something else that we want to achieve. But we we're achieving it because we feel called to it. We feel gifted in it. We feel we can't stop thinking about it. We feel passionate about it. Not because it's another, I mean, everybody who's listening right now, do we not already have enough things on our to-do list? Let's not make our goals and our dreams feel like that too. I love that. So speaking of which, how do you guys celebrate your success? Do you have any go-tos or things that you do once you accomplish something that you're leaning towards? I am laughing because the answer is like the happy dance from like perfect strangers. Perfect. (laughs) And it's it's such a powerful question because in the beginning of our business, in the beginning of most of our businesses, I think, I hope we celebrate all these little wins. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, the first time a retainer tech has four figures in it. That's amazing. Yes. And you do the happy dance. And there came a time in our business where we had gotten so focused on what's next that we were missing what's now. And I said to Justin, we're not happy dancing anymore. We're not celebrating the stuff that other people, like the exact things you have in your life right now, other people are praying for at the same moment. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem because you can chase that all the way to your grave. You can chase that all the way to your deathbed saying, just give me one more day. I have one more thing to do. Not I have one more person to love or one more person to hug or one more sunset to watch. And I think we just started to really kind of embrace that like 10 years have gone by and it goes fast. Mm -hmm. It goes really, really fast. You blink and you look up and a decade 
has been spent like freight training, barreling down the tracks toward this place that you wanted to get. And you get there and you go, it's nice. It's really nice, but it's not, like you said, it's not life-changing. It's like being a freshman in high school and looking at what it'll feel like when you're a senior and you get to be a senior and it's not that it's not nice, but it's not this whole different world that you thought it would be. Right. And I think that's our expectations too. I think it's where we're putting our worth. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's scary because it can become these things where, we are so always looking ahead in what's next. And I know I struggle, like I have started now where I set a new goal and then I'm like, this is exactly how we're going to celebrate that. Whether that just looks like sushi at Mm -hmm. home or Drew and I went to this spa on Saturday for one, like one service. And we were like these little kids, like in the hot tub, like we don't belong here, but this is amazing. (laughs) And you know, it's just one of those things too, where it's like, if you don't set a tangible action, you're never going to stop and acknowledge and celebrate because you're always on to what's next. And I think we're just so wired because we're so passionate that we're always like excited about something new. Yeah. But it's so important. Like I remember the first time I got in a magazine and I like ran and jumped and, you know, like you said, happy danced. And then now it's just like, oh, cool. And it's like, no, I want to go back to that bliss and I want to go back to that like giddiness because it's so easy as you continue to do these things to just think that it's the norm and to not appreciate that it's exceptional and that these things are happening for you because of you. And um, it's just crazy because you would never expect to not want to celebrate in your life. But I think a lot of times it becomes just part of your routine. Yeah, it becomes part, you're absolutely right. It becomes part of your routine and uh, you almost can't see it because the list is, it gets progressively longer. So all you can see is all the stuff that hasn't happened yet. And I think that that's, that's kind of where those parts of like, like, like slowing down and having gratitude and saying, what amazing thing is happening right now routinely in my life that the Mary five years ago or 10 years ago would like was, was counting down the days until that happened for the first time. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's just human nature, but there's, it's so easy to take the things that you wanted so bad and then just see the downside of them. Like, oh gosh, this turns into a lot of emails or, <laughs> oh gosh, my schedule's really full. And I just try to constantly tap back into that girl who is like with Justin, brand new married on the floor of our apartment thinking like, man, like, can we make a go of this? And to have lasted a decade, like that's something we need to slow down and celebrate. And so we, one of the other things we do is we always have a bottle of champagne, always, always, always have a bottle of champagne in the refrigerator. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be an expensive bottle of champagne, but you just need like any reason whatsoever to pop that bad boy open and say like, for now, for tonight, we celebrate tomorrow. We'll work again, but for tonight, we celebrate. I love that. So I have one final question for you and it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of a tough one, but are you where you wanted to be at this stage of your life? Um, I would say that I am not, but it's not in a negative way. It's in a, I am sitting here in wonder, like absolute wonder. Um, I have a friend who's a, I'm going to go on a tangent, but I promise I'll come back around. I have a friend who's a speaker. He was one of the speakers at the very first conference we ever got to speak at. His name's Will Jacks. And he talked about walking among the fireflies. Like as creatives, we have to make time to do nothing else than walk and wonder um, among the fireflies at, at just how beautiful the world around us is. And so I'm sitting here and I, I mean, since I was five, I wanted to be an author and that dream has morphed to author speaker. 
as a full-time career. And uh, I'm not, I don't currently have a published book and I'm not currently a national outside of the photography industry speaker, but I can see all of these people coming into my life. I can see Hannah Brencher, who's an author. I can see you who, you know, you're doing such things much bigger beyond the photography industry. Um, I can see my friend Marcus who helps organize conferences for Tony Robbins and all these other people. And they're starting to align in my life. And it's just this, this, um, thing I saw recently of like, take a deep breath, be patient. The pieces are falling into place. And it's in wonder. I feel like the fireflies around me are like lining up and they're going to spell out, write your book, Mary, or whatever. (laughs) I don't know. But I, I'm not where I want to be, but I like, I feel an energy in the air that it's happening. That's amazing. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about the giveaway that people can get when they go to golddiggerpodcast.com because it's something that I'm really excited for everyone to get their hands on. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, everything we're talking about, it can be so easy to make this super long list of stuff that you need to go get done and you need to make happen if you're going to be successful. And in the option of all the things, you end up doing none of the things because you're overwhelmed. And so we actually put together in 10 years of experience, what are the five best things we did for our business, our five best business decisions. And we put that together in a free guide that you guys can go grab. Uh, Hopefully our 10 years of going the long way around will give you guys a shorter path. That's amazing. And where can everybody find you? Oh gosh. Uh, at home in my living room, in my yoga pants. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> um, I would say probably the best places are our blog is justinamaryblog.com. Uh, Instagram is Mary Morant and Justin Morant's two separate accounts for that. He's more artistic with his Instagram than I am. <laughs> yeah. On Facebook, it's just slash Justin and Mary. Love it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart. And if you guys ever have the opportunity to go listen to Mary speak, it is this times a thousand. It is just so powerful. There's never a dry eye in the room. Um, and you get her alone and she is the exact same person. And I think that that just speaks to the character and quality of people that Justin and Mary are. And I'm just so thankful we got to hang out and just share your heart with this with everybody. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. And um, you guys can tune in next week for the next episode of Gold Digger. Thanks for listening to Gold Digger. Dive into show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. You gold digging dream chaser, you.